Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, it's Lainey. Hey, it's Duanna. And welcome to Show Your Work. And this is what you've been waiting for, part two. This is part two of our interview with the incredible, warm, open Josie telling us about everything from nostalgia to failure to all the places that he thought he'd never be. There's gossip. There's competition. Oh, and there's some really good stories uh, that we've been sitting on to not spoil them for you. And of course, this is all about work. The work of Josie. We're coming off a year of Asian domination. Mm -hmm. Crazy rich Asians uh, searching... I'm, it's unreal. Like, Crazy Rich Asians was named, like, best movie at the Critics' Choice Awards. It has been such a great year for representation for those of Asian background. And it got me to thinking about you. You're uh, a kid who was born in Hong Kong, moved to Canada, ended up in New York, a, a leader in the fashion industry, the creative director of L, as you said, this behemoth of a publication, essentially the L counterpart to... Anna Wintour, <laughs> a Chinese man. What was that like to be a first only different? I never, ever thought, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I did, but I never really thought about race in that particular way. Like, I never went through my entire career path thinking like, wow, I was the only Asian man that did this. I was the only this. And it wasn't really until like, I think we talked about Fab Life, that when I was on that talk show, I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm the only Asian man on a daily, uh, as a host of a daytime talk show ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. You know, ever. The only. The only uh, ever. One, one. Um, yeah. And they've had women, but never men, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, that's kind of insane. I get to be part of that glass ceiling in a way. And, and, you know, whether it worked or didn't work, it was for me just incredibly gratifying, but I didn't feel like I was on the front line of being an activist and trying to make that happen. And I have been so incredibly, like, like behind this year with Crazy Rich Asians and searching and all of that stuff. And I really try to promote and push so much of that, you know, in everything that I do. And I've been, I feel like for the first time, I've been more, even more embracing of my own culture. Because, yes, I was born in Hong Kong. I moved here. But, like, you moved to Toronto. In the 80s, I'm going to tell you, like, you know, we're not sitting here being like, hey, yay, we're Asian. It's like, yeah. no, we're white. Yeah. <laughs> or at least I'm going to assimilate into the culture here because if you don't try to make yourself fit in, you'll never be successful mm -hmm. here. And that was such a big mantra of growing up. And, like, we went to schools in North York that was predominantly Jewish. And I knew that culture and that religion so much more than my own. And... All that stuff. And I think what we're saying to you, like, I couldn't even invite my friends from school over because I didn't want them to walk into my house and smell our house and, like, the food that my grandmother would be cooking because I was embarrassed. And I was like, they're going to think this stinks. And they're going to think this is, like, what is that smell? And it was, like, pork belly cooking. But, like, 
that was disgusting and weird to people back then. And now it is like the thing everyone wants to order when they get to a restaurant they can't get a reservation at. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really like flipped and it's like, you know, and I was trying to make a, a sort of have some levity about it and say like, oh, it's a year of the Asian. I'm finally trendy. <laughs> <laughs> but in the same time, it's also a little sad. You know, like I don't want my race to be trendy. I don't want my race to be like, this is the year of. How do we actually make this something we don't talk about anymore, mm -hmm. but it's just really part of every day. And I said this to someone last night. I think Canada is by far more progressive in being colorblind with race and ethnicities and diversity than the States is at all, in everything, but especially in the world of pop culture and entertainment. Like, everything up here is really just about, oh, is that the best person? In the States, it's like... All right, we gotta throw one in for token. Like we gotta throw, we gotta have one, but we not too many. But it's very intentional. It's like we have to have the one black girl. We have to find that one Asian girl. And it's like, why don't we just find girls? Yeah, you know. And I think it's not that. I think it's very hard. We haven't gotten there in the states yet. I I I really love hearing that because I think that you know when you say that you weren't thinking about race at the early part of your career. It meant that you were appreciated, or you at least felt that you were appreciated for what you were bringing. Absolutely, I don't think I—I I, I never felt like I didn't get an opportunity because of my race, mm -hmm. you know, or my sexual identity or anything. Like I never felt that, and I, so in a way, I always felt embraced in that way. So yeah, it wasn't a thing. I remember, but I mean, the first thing I did when I went to New York and I was starting school, and I said I want to work in magazines. And a friend of mine there introduced me to someone who was working in fashion. And he said, you want to work at a magazine? And this was like 1990. And I said, yes. He's like, oh, I'm just going to tell you right now, honey. This is how he said it. Honey, I'm just going to tell you right now. You're not blonde. You're not a girl. And you don't come from a family of privilege. I don't think it's going to work for you. I was like, that's it? And I was like, I went home and I was like devastated. And I was like, I moved to New York and it's not going to happen because I'm not white and I'm not blonde and I'm not rich. And then I was like, I woke up the next morning, and this is what we talk about, like, failures. And I woke up the next morning, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to just grind extra hard. And, and I did, and I pounded the pavement, and I worked even harder. So if somebody worked eight hours, I'll work 12, and I'll work for free, or whatever it is, just to, like, prove my worth. So then when the big job comes, and I know that there were a series of big jobs and there are things that, uh, you know, that every everything that looks like a dream then becomes the floor for the next kind of dream. But when it was about creative director at L and so forth, maybe the opposite question is, what do you think was the thing? Obviously, for any job at that level, they're interviewing lots of people, they're considering lots of, what do you think was the thing about you or the thing that you pushed that made them go, this is the guy? Um, I mean, I, th I think I had an extensive, extensive resume in the things that I've done and people really sort of appreciated. And I think the 10 years I spent at W in the 90s really sort of, I have to say that really was sort of the needle moving on my career. But I also think like a lot of it is, to be honest, my Canadianness. Like, I think people liked that I was just nice and like just normal and like I didn't come from a privileged family I didn't come from a place where I felt like I had to act and put on airs and be a certain way and I hated the part of fashion where people felt like they had to act a certain way because I could look through people and be like but that's not who you are why are you being that like Anna Wintour is unapologetically Anna Wintour she is Devil Wears Prada but she doesn't put that on right 
So when I see other people try to mimic Anna, I'm thinking, that's not who you are. And that's why it doesn't work on you because now you just look like an asshole. And on Anna, you respect it because it's just her. It's not affected. Yeah. And I think, you know, and so for me, I realized I'm just going to be me. I don't have to be this person. So yeah, if I am too nice, if I am too embracing, if I am too involving of everybody, and that's not what you do in the world of fashion, well, then screw it. Then maybe I shouldn't do this and whatever. But I think that ended up working out. And I think the New York Times did a profile of me back then. And they were like, oh, he's like the anti, he's the the nice ambassador, whatever, to the world of fashion. I don't remember what the exact headline was, but I was like, oh, and again, I never even really thought about it. I thought it was just me. It wasn't like a thing where I said, well, I think my brand is going to be nice so that I can really counteract everybody else. And there's no intention. There was no, like, <laughs> ulterior motive. It was it's just was me being me. And it worked because, yeah, it was uh, you do you is a phrase that we've argued about a bit. But that's the idea, right? That you were continuing to do what you would have done anyway in the bigger or small, the biggest or smallest venue. You're still going to do. Oh, and then and then people are like, oh, you're from Canada. Now I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) You talked a little bit about not being interested in hierarchies. Was that something that was a conscious decision or was it kind of the same idea where you were like, no, why should we care? And you were surprised that people know. Not, uh, not conscious at all. I just, I love, I love involving everybody. I love groups. Like I've always loved that. Like when I launched the magazine and Connie and I called Vitals, we work like a dog. We work like overnight. We work 20 hours, 14 hours, whatever. Then I'd be like, let's all go to a movie. And I took my entire staff out. We went to a movie. Who does that? Cause I was like, we all work so hard. Let's go to a movie. Like, let's go, let's go do something different. Like let's all go bowling. And I've always treated the people I work with, like a mini family. And I think that's just because, I don't know, because I don't even do that with my own family. <laughs> I don't know. And I feel like... You're not up at 4 a.m. with your fam. Like you're, I, you're No, yeah, we don't right. all go hang out and we just don't yeah. have that kind of relationship. But I had that with my work family. And I feel like maybe work was a thing that I felt so at home at. Mm-hmm. So if work was my home, then these people were my extended family. Then let's go out and do family things. So then I guess my question is, because we talk about all kinds of industries. And there's a lot of talk about the unwritten rules, uh, that these are the unwritten rules of this industry or, or of interaction or whatnot. So how then when you were coming up and sort of, you know, your friend said, oh, it's not going to work for you to get to a magazine, you go watch me. Um, but you're learning the whole time and processing. So how did you decide which of those rules about hierarchy, about pretension or whatnot to take on or which ones to to not internalize? Um, I don't know, because I, I think I when I was coming up and I was like an assistant and I was doing different things and trying to find a job. And there's so many times, I mean, I say it and everything worked out really well, but there were times I was in school when I had like no money and I had just a visa for a year. I was like, am I going to have to go back to Canada? I don't know what to do. And I would, there were times I sat at home and I would lay in bed and I would cry and be like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. But I would get up the next day and I would be like, I got to try again. Um I don't know if there were rules necessary that I wanted to break. I worked for a lot of people early on in my career that were assholes. And like, and yet I smiled every time that it was demeaning, every time that it was um, awful. I smiled and I did it better than they wanted. Um, And I went home and I was like feeling shit. And I remember thinking like, oh, what am I loving about this and what am I not? And then I will have to take that with me when the when the positions are switched and I'm in that position to be someone else's boss. And then I work for people, I work for bosses that were incredible 
incredibly inspiring that trusted me, let me run with it. Um, every idea I had, they they elevated and supported and and pushed through. And then so then when I sort of had a position that I could really encourage people, I said, do I want them to work for me out of fear or do I want them to work for me out of inspiration? And Because they will get the job done either way, but what is going to be the better way for me? So in that in that time when you're like the creative director, your name is on the masthead. Can you talk about what you learned from that pressure situation? It's on you, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. everybody's always looking at you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the biggest pressure. I mean, the problem with fashion is the pressure is. It's like we're we live in a vacuum. So the pressure is like, is the rest of the industry looking at you? And respecting you. Because at the end of the day, like we used to say, like, we don't even edit for the readers. We edit for each other. Like, mm. are, is the industry looking at you and thinking, like, you're mm. cool? That's are you good. cool enough? Are you, are you like, new enough? Are you innovative enough? And we're like, and sometimes i got to be like, you guys, we've got to start thinking about the reader, not just the industry. Because we do worry so much about just editing for each other. And... You know, and I say this now because I'm not even really in the weeds of that anymore. But, like, in it, you're like, yeah, I do actually care what people think. And by people, I mean my peers. You know, and I think you care about how people react. Again, your peers. Mm -hmm. Like, especially now, like, we happen to be talking during award season. I think about the Oscars. Like, especially in the Oscars, they're doing it for each other. Like, this is not about the audience. They're campaigning oh. to each other, within each other. And it's, I mean, I know it's a very specific scenario, the Hollywood thing, but I do think it's applicable within all industries. Science, researchers, like, think about the competition between, um, like, if you're in a lab with somebody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking about you talking earlier about watching a rough cut with, with your husband, with mm -hmm. your partner, and you know where those seams are. Mm -hmm. And the only people who know where those seams are are your colleagues, your people. We talk about this all the time, right? That if you cut something out of a piece or out of a script or whatnot, the people who see that, the people who you're really like, oh, is that going to look clumsy or whatnot, are the people who make you better. The mm -hmm. colleagues are the ones that you're working for. But then I guess your question is, does it become, yeah, does it become too insular if you're only focused mm -hmm. on the... 25 people who are your competition or oh, whatever. Oh, it totally becomes insular, but most people don't care because it's like, it's a self-gratifying, it's an ego thing. It's like, uh, if I win the Oscar, I'm better than all these people. Mm -hmm. But is it really about like, like sometimes it's like, but your movie's so successful. Isn't that the Oscar enough right. <laughs> that everybody went to see you? But it isn't because it is about self-congratulatory. Yeah. Um, a, a sort of a, a thing that is very satisfying because it is your peers. It is these people that you do it for. Do you know what I mean? That that you want because I think we're all we all do this in search of some level of validation, and validation from your peers and or your mentors will always have much more gravitas than just validation from a general mass public. If a world famous producer were to say to me, like, I love seven days out, it's just gonna carry more weight for me because this is what you do. You know what is a good show versus just someone who just watches a lot of TV. <laughs> so in the fashion industry back then, 90s, early 2000s, yeah. you're doing it, you're watching it like basically you're doing it for each other. It's New York City. Oh. It's that 
cutthroat environment. It's a bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing it for each other. Everybody's trying to outdo each other. The editors are vogue at putting out something to be like, oh, will the people at Bazaar look at it and think that we're better than that? Like, do we do a better job than they did? Yeah. Like, it's all for each other. You know, forgetting that there is actually a public out there who's paying money for this. Yeah. And they're getting a lot out of it. But I think media has always been for each other. Yeah, that's like, yeah, I'm, I can't talk right now because you just <laughs> nailed it. Or you were are brave enough to say like what we all know. Oh, and, and I'm, I'm no problem like, saying it because it, it is. But you're what it right; is. it is fucking all for each other. Absolutely. And, yeah. No, you obviously you want to have your work be matched up against other people who know how the level of difficulty, right? It's the same. Look, if you're in the circus and if I see somebody do a flip, I'm like. That's amazing. But the other circus people are like, is it? They just did a double rotation of a blah, 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 whatever. You know, Olympians. No, I think you need those pace markers, right? Those yeah. those sort of people. I think if you're doing it for someone else, it also makes sure you're always having an edge in the race. Like, you're going to look at it and be like, okay, we're going to have to, like, move it forward a little bit. We're going to do it like this. Because if you just do it in a very general sense, then you just become complacent. Like, you know, like, let, even on, like, the social, it would be like, if we only just do it for the people who are out there watching the show. Well, it's successful already, so we can just come back and repeat the same formula every day. Yeah. We don't really have to push. We don't really have to try. We don't even have to be innovative because it doesn't matter. But it does matter because then it'll never keep moving with the times. But that only happens because you know you need to keep an edge in the race. Well, listen, I mean, without this turning into a circle jerk, the reason why this is so exciting for us is because Duane and I have always been advocates for competition. The healthy Right competition. But you need I mean, it. We're not talking yeah. about like sabotaging people, but there ha- there was a few years ago this idea, especially for women, that you know we shouldn't compete again. Against- Why that- are you pitting women against each other? Yes. Was the dominant phrase. And right? sometimes that is the case, like in those shitty environments with boys and whatnot. But Chimimanda actually said competition can be good in certain. Areas, jobs, profession, it can make you better. But we have become used to language that says women shouldn't be put it against each other. Let's not compete. And I feel like Duanne and I have talked a lot about what we lose in not choosing and selecting the right parts of competition that we can learn from. It's, it's like training, right? It's, it's Now I'm out of my depth because I don't like gym talk at all. Um, but... <laughs> Isn't that the whole thing that you have to constantly be training? Mm-hmm. You're never done at the gym any more than you're done at work, right? No. No. The competition should be the thing that inspires you to be better and keep moving. I think that's the best part of competition. And I love that part. But when you lose sight of all that and you just want to win at any cost, I think that's when it becomes dark and dangerous because then it's no longer about what the purpose of this competition was. Now you're just in it to win it. But I don't know. Ask me a Canada Reads. But- <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying it for people out there. They're like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. It's like American Ninja, but like with literary nerds. <laughs> so staying with publishing, because as you said, publishing has changed. Like it. Drastically, yeah. Drastically from the time. But, you know. What is interesting is that lately, especially over the last year or so, there are many people who have declared the celebrity profile is dead for all kinds of reasons. Access, what celebrities will and won't talk about. Can we go back to when you were managing a magazine? Mm -hmm. You were sometimes getting celebrity covers. Was there more control then? 
Uh, no, the control is really in recent years. I mean, I, I was the first, one of the first people to celebrate celebrity covers. I love celebrities because I think in a way they were different than fashion models. And I really came of age in the 90s and it was really about the supermodels. And mm-hmm. I love, love, love them. Because I think what we I loved about them was they were celebrities. They were three-dimensional, well-rounded human beings with interest and, and personalities and things that you wanted to connect to them about. And then it just sort of became... You know, then it's sort of, they disappear and became just regular models. And in the end, those were just pretty faces. And I needed more than just a two-dimensional, superficial beauty of someone. And what I loved about celebrities was that they had a whole career. They were actors, singers, whatever they were doing. So they had other things that were really their specialty and their forte. And then it turned into, you know, they weren't your typical, everybody wasn't the same size. Everybody wasn't the same skin color. Everybody wasn't the same age. And then to me, that was so much more fascinating that I could be as inspired by Jennifer Lopez as Tilda Swinton, even though they're very different people. And so I would sort of push for them to be on the covers. When I was at W in the 90s, I mean, I was like the first, first one to push to, I I remember going to my boss and saying like, there is a girl group and I think I want to put the lead singer on the cover and her name is Beyonce. And he's like, you want to put a girl group singer? But why would you not have all three? I'm suddenly sitting up straight. It's not the same. (laughs) I was like, it's not the same. She's about to get a movie role in Austin Powers. I'm going to tell you she's going to blow up because after that, I'm sure the girl group will will be done one day. He's like, well, you don't want all three of them? I'm like, it's not like that. She's going to be the breakout star. He's like, all right, I trust you. And we gave her her first American magazine cover ever. And it was the same when I got to L and we did it with for Gaga. I was like watching her one night at midnight. I was like, I know you. I was like texting my boss and I was like, we got to put this girl on the cover. She's going to be huge. I know you think she's weird. He's like, you don't think she's a bit too strange. I'm like, I think her strangest would be the thing that sort of makes her become a star. And we and I love doing that. I did it with Justin Timberlake at Details. Like he was still in NSYNC, literally. They were laughing at me when I said, I think we need to put him on the cover. They're like the lead singer of a boy band. I'm like, trust me on this one. I will change his image. We will do something completely different in the pages. He'll look grown up. They're like, Joe. And I was like, trust me, please. They trusted me. It was their best-selling issue ever in like a long, long time. And of course, Justin became a huge star. So I have you to blame for that because I hate him. You do hate him? (laughs) I worked with him all these years. I I did all this stuff growing up with him. Oh, no. So I have you to blame for that. No, but that is – I mean, this is so great because as you said – there is, there was a movement, right, from like models on the cover of fashion magazines to celebrities, and then some people complained there's too many celebrities, and now it's only celebrities on the cover of fashion magazines. Like, it is out of the twelve covers of a year, probably maybe only one. Let's take Vogue for example. Only one is now a model, and, and it has model, to be like Giselle, a yeah, celebrity in and of itself. Right? Absolutely, so yeah, it's or not, a figure. It's not just a regular pretty face as a public figure yeah I mean I don't know listen yes it's all about celebrities now and there's so much more control now so I think the celebrity profile is dead for people in the way because it's not real it's a press release of what people need to yeah. say mm-hmm. so yes and also like at the end of the day I love Jennifer Lawrence I love Nicole Kidman but how many more profiles can you read mm-hmm. of them it is the same thing over and over again so is it the death of the celebrity profile? I feel like we go in waves. So, like, yeah, people have said it's the death of the sitcom or the death of the rom-com, and then you have Crazy Rich Asians. So, like, it's just the death of the formula and how you can reinvent it. Because if someone can reinvent it well and right, it'll be the whole thing again. So I don't know what the new celebrity profile would be 
in its reinvention. But should someone do it well, it'll be all about that again. Well, you may have been on the forefront of that because the online outlets are doing much better celebrity profiles. Vulture. I agree with you. We gave we did digital covers, which when I started, when we launched at Yahoo, I was like, we're going to do a cover. They're like a cover on the website. I'm like, and now Vogue, because everyone's doing their online mm-hmm. covers. Because I realized it is about putting prominence on a subject. It's not a cover on a newsstand per se, but it is about a hero glory moment for something that we want to highlight. Yeah, and people passing physical newsstands yeah. is people pass the newsstand online the way they do. Well, that that's what Instagram is. Instagram is a new magazine because like when you walk by a newsstand, you have literally seconds to get someone to stop and pick up your magazine over the others. When you're pushing through that feed, like flicking like crazy... What's going to make you stop? Do you know what I mean? So like everybody, someone's picture has to be a cover because like if you're flicking like crazy, how is it that you're going to stop on that one picture? I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about maybe like the personality traits of people who work in media. Uh, but I think one of the reasons people are obsessed with celebrity profiles is they want to figure out how they work. Like you've worked with so, so many celebrities. Is there anything that you can say you know for sure? I think what makes them fascinating is that because they are all of those, I don't know, like depths of emotions in a way. Um, I don't know. Like I remember one time I was like styling all these covers and doing all this stuff. And I was at a photo shoot with a really famous actress. And I was saying like, you know, sometimes I just wake up in the morning and I feel like, is today the day they're going to find out I'm a fraud? And she was like, oh my God, Joe, I feel like that too. And I was like, are you kidding me? So like we kind of bonded on that moment. She's like, I really do. And I was like, oh, because it's like, it's like a thing I really feel. I don't anymore, but this was like in the 90s. And I really, I was like, oh, that was like a thing. I just learned recently it's called the imposter syndrome. It is a genuine, real, diagnosed, like, mental state. I was like, what? I'm not nuts. I wasn't the only one. People out there also feel the same way. I was like, wow. I really, it was a very big thing that weighed on me for a long time when I first started really taking off in my career. So in that, in that moment, it's you don't think you deserved it. Absolutely didn't think I deserved it. I really thought, what am I doing here? I was just thrown into this. I don't think I deserve it. And I was like, is today the day they're going to knock on my door and be like, you're a fraud and we know it now and and take it all away? I don't know. I mean, I haven't had that feeling in a long, long time. Sometimes I feel that to varying degrees when I tackle something new, but not necessarily. But it was a very weighted thing for me back then. But to actually have a really celebrated actress say to me that they felt the same way, I was like, oh, not that I could even pin anything to it till 10 years later. Did you, were you able to have her share that? In what way? In in the magazine. No. Mm-hmm. No, it was just something we talked about that was. Yeah. I think that's what's interesting because I would have been interested to read that. It would have made them really real. Yeah. I mean, and I think today, 
you could probably find an actress who would say something. You know, you could get a Jennifer Lawrence to say something like that because her whole brand is about being real. Right. <laughs> you know, but in a way, it's almost like, oh, is she saying it because she's on brand? Yeah. You know, and I think that's the problem with celebrity profiles today because when there are so many that are controlled and you don't believe, well, we're the ones that we really should believe. Mm-hmm. Like that moment with the actress felt more real to you because it wasn't for publication. Because and it, it was, was something happening. we were just talking about behind the scene mm-hmm. in passing. Like I think maybe at lunch or something. But, you know, but then when it came to a proper interview, you say the things you're supposed to say. Yeah. You know, and they're good. And they've all been trained in that way. And they know what they're doing. So even when they reveal something that feels vulnerable, it's something that had been previously discussed. So in that vein, what's the skill that you learned then, especially with like image and negotiation, of getting them maybe to present themselves in a way physically on W especially yeah. had like quite. I push them always. Right. Mm-hmm. So especially W's identity, at least then was it doesn't, it was the point was that W never looked like Vogue mm-hmm. or L that you had the crazy eyeshadow. The hair was three dimensional. Mm-hmm. How did you negotiate that? How did you get people to be willing to, to take on perhaps a new image like a Beyonce, for example, in a way people haven't seen them, and still make them feel comfortable, but they don't look at it and say, I regret this. Oh, of course. Um, I think really, I mean, when we did it enough, people just knew that they were coming to W to do something different, or they wanted to come to W because they wanted something different. So that was very um, part of the equation and the process back then. But I think a lot of it at the end of the day was trust. I had personal relationships with a lot of them, so they trusted me. But also a collaboration. Like, these celebrities were not models. Like, with a model, you showed up that morning of, and you said, this is what we're doing. Put this on. Do this. Wear this. And they didn't have an opinion. They just did whatever you wanted them to do. And I think a lot of fashion people real... um, didn't know how to do that delineation. It's like, you cannot just show up the morning of with a celebrity and say, we're doing this. And they're like, hold up. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And it's like, I don't blame them because you are who you are. And you did not get to where you are. Like you're on the cover of a magazine because there's an element of success in what you're doing. So you definitely have an opinion. So I was always very collaborative with them always from the beginning and being able to be like, should we try this? Should we try that? And like, if I really felt strongly about something, these are my debate skills coming in. I would really argue my point with them <laughs> to a point where they would say, you know what? You're right. Let's try it. I said, at the end of the day, let's try it. If you're not comfortable with it, we don't have to run it. But if we don't try it, we'll never know. And they always loved what we did. And I think you could always find those moments. Like, I mean, I think, you know, we did one of the first naked pregnant covers ever, like long before everyone does them now. But this is like pre-Demi Moore, pre-all that, on Cindy Crawford when she was pregnant. And that issue sold really well. When Winona Ryder was arrested for shoplifting mm-hmm. and then we shot her for a cover shortly after, I was like, would you ever wear a free Winona t-shirt just so it's like a wink at yourself? And she's like, yeah. Did you come up with the phrase? Yeah. No, that was something they were – after she was arrested, like yeah. I think all the – like um. Just everybody out there started making t-shirts right. that said free Winona. Yeah. And I was like, but would you ever wear it just in gist, just to be like winking at yourself? And most people would say no. Yeah. Because they were like, oh, that's yeah. too sensitive. She's like, yeah. And we put that on the cover. Like, But that took it mainstream. Like, I mean, they might, my, there might have been people wearing the t-shirt, but to put it on a magazine cover back in the 90s. Worn by Winona. Yeah. Yes. It would yeah. be like, 
insane. Where like she knew she if she went to Vogue, she would not be doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think we really carved out a niche for ourselves about what we did. And so a lot of celebrities came to us knowing that that's what they were doing anyways. We were never doing anything that was exploitive or scandalous or unnecessarily, you know, cheesy. We always did something that always felt really elevated, but definitely caught your attention. That irreverence, right? Like not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. And I, I think these, and I think it was sort of, a relief for a lot of these celebrities because they, they everything is so serious. It's like, yeah. we're promoting the movie. We're on the junket. I have to be an actress. We're going to go to an award. I have a speech to give. And sometimes just to do something that takes it out of the realm of who they are was really good. But I, you have to be surprised. A lot of celebrities are actually not good with still photos. They're really good at inhabiting a character. But mm. when we take pictures, they have to be themselves. And it was a very crippling thing for a lot of them. So huh. it worked for me if I could say, oh, I'm inspired by Catherine Deneuve and you're going to be her. And I was inspired by blah, blah, blah and this. Or like, did you ever see this movie? So you're coaching them. Yeah, well, because and a lot of the things that we were doing were inspired by that. And I could give them the character to put their mindset in and that's on the get and they get it. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, if they could get that, they could, you could see the ease and the comfort in what they were doing. Are you professionally nostalgic? Like, let's say that you are on Instagram uh-huh. and you see somebody posting the Winona, free Winona t-shirt cover uh-huh. and you see other covers that you produced. Are you that kind of person where you, you miss it? You look back oh. or for example, if you see, if you're, you're browsing Instagram and you see free Winona, which is fitting because we have sirens going by. So <laughs> um, <laughs> in our hotel room that can't block out the sound, um, but if you, yeah, if you see covers you produce, like Winona, like Beyonce, are you the kind of person that stops and says to yourself, oh, wow, and you get nostalgic? And the reason I'm asking is because from a personal level, one of the things my friends always say to me is that I'm fickle. I get over things very quickly. You move on. I move on. I move on too. But yes, because you, 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 I don't like living in the past, but um, I do get a little nostalgic. I mean, there are accounts on Instagram now that are like, 90s fashion or 90s this, and they will put up my old work and tag me and they'll be like what I was like oh I forgot I did that so less nostalgic like oh I missed that moment you forgot you did that <laughs> <laughs> well like you have a lot of stuff going on you can't remember every shoot well, also, every I mean I style I style things for better part of 20 years it's hard to remember every of course. shoot but um I don't know it was like so less like oh I miss that moment I wish you know I missed that moment I wish we could go back there I don't have that because I love I love that we lived it back then. If we had it now, it would not be the same. So it was sort of like the right place at the right time. So I appreciate it and I'm glad I was part of it, but I don't miss it in that way. Sometimes I work miss a magazine because I miss working together with a community of people all for one common goal. And then we have a final product to show for it. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, but I mean, otherwise... Yeah, I mean, I, I love that these people all put up, like, old pictures that I've done and, and, and show me. And then one time, I went to um, a designer, well, Wes Gordon, who is now the designer for Carolina Herrera. But he was just starting out as a young designer, and he was launching his first ever resort collection. This was, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. And then um, he was like, oh, Joe, I want to show you my collection. It was really inspired by these vintage images I found. You know, I was really inspired by Gwyneth Paltrow in the 90s. I'm like, I styled those. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you call them vintage images. <laughs> 
And I was like, that's when you know, like, it is just a new generation. And mm-hmm. I was, I was like, wow, I always wanted to be that moment. Cause like I was inspired by old images of Avedon and all of this stuff. And now they're inspired by old images that I did that he didn't even know <laughs> of like a baby Gwyneth. <laughs> Do you sort of have anything that is like a touchstone for you, pop culture or otherwise? Uh, I, the, the joke is I over-identified with Hamilton um, now and forever. Uh, you know, why do you write like you're running out of time and all the rest of it? There's a lot about work. Uh, and you sort of, uh, yeah, you had a lot in Crazy Rich Asians that meant a lot to you, not just because the mm-hmm. movie was representative, but that there were sort of ethos that were in it for you. Is there anything that you kind of constantly come back to or touch in with that you're like, oh, yeah, or, or try to, I don't know, power pose like Beyonce or whatever it is? No, I mean, I think, I think a lot, like, I think what Lainey was saying, I don't really dwell in the past or dwell in nostalgia moments. Like, I lo- I am a huge pop culture fanatic. And I realize that I am because I love being obsessed with what people are obsessed with in the moment. But if you're a pop culture fanatic, there's no way you can live in the past. Like, you got to just keep moving. So, like, I love Crazy Rich Asians more than anything, but I'm sure I'll move on to the next thing by next year. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, whatever it is of the moment, like, I love it while I'm there in that moment. So it's kind of hard for me. I don't really backtrack me like, oh, I'm going to go back to this. It's all about the 90s. It's like, I love the 90s. I'm moving on. It was the 90s last year. Great. Um, But then on to the next thing. So hard for me to go back and pin a specific time or moment or reference or inspiration and say, well, I always go back to that. I don't really. I kind of just get with what's happening for me um, in this moment. So then right now, tomorrow morning, what's your hype song? What do you turn on to be like, okay, I got to go. I got to make this happen. I was obsessed with Seven Rings by Ariana Grande like <laughs> yeah. two weeks ago, but now so overplayed. I'm like, oh, no. But I've been obsessed. I mean, not not brand new, but not old. But like that Sam Smith, Normani song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like obsessed with that. I was like, oh, man. I was like, that didn't get enough play that it deserved because it was just overshadowed by Ariana. But um, but like, I love what's on the charts. Yeah. Like, I love what's going on. Yeah. I love that you say that because I feel like so many people are like, oh, I, I look back and music before was so much better than it is oh, now. And I, like, I'm says like, says that. Oh, I everybody. I, everybody <laughs> says that. It's like, I'm, they're like, I love You know what Patsy I mean, right? Klein. Yeah. I love the Beatles. I'm like, oh, no. Give me Shut something up. today. Yeah. Me too. Give me Miley Cyrus. <laughs> give me like, I just need something like current. And like, it, to me, I don't, and it's not because I just want to like it because it's current. I really do like it. Because it's so representative of right now. So on that note, given that you are a cultural commentator, you're on TV, so you talked about being at the Oscars. With your expertise, people are asking you, what did you think of that dress? How honest can you be? And in conjunction with that, as you have accumulated power and success, Seven Days Out is a huge hit. You're working on so many other projects. Have you felt that you've been able to leverage more of that power to be more honest in your opinion and in the things that you do? I try to be as honest. I mean, I am. I try to be honest. I'm just like not naturally a mean-spirited person. So I can't just come out and be cutting for no reason. It isn't authentic to me and it's not who I am. Um, You know, like... Oscars, for example, how honest am I if, I if I like a dress or not? I'm always honest. If I love a dress, I love a dress. Just no one really looks terrible anymore. Everyone kind of just looks <laughs> I 
like how, fine. how you know sad I mean? you are that you because it's fun for some people to look terrible. I want people to look terrible. Like I just want people to have more personality because everything is so man managed now. So it's like you hire a stylist. There's a team of people overlook seeing that stylist. What designer you wear is very intentional. How that is, everything's safe. That's why everyone just looks pretty. So every time, every, after every award show, people are like, well, "What did you think?" I'm like, "The same. They all look really pretty. Do they? Ha- do I have standouts among the pretty? Absolutely. But did anyone come out looking like a total like fright? No, that doesn't exist. It's like remember when Kim Basinger made her own dress and went to the Oscars, or Sharon Stone took out her husband's white capture and put like that doesn't exist anymore. Like the most you get, the most scandal there is, is like so and so bought that Alexander McQueen gown. I'm like, that's a scandal. Like, I think it's 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 a hard. I mean, do I want to be more honest? I think not that. I think I'm pretty honest enough. But I like you brought up Chrissy Teigen. I always envy her because she is completely unfiltered, yeah, and uncaring. And I mm-hmm. think maybe mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. biggest my biggest drawback is that. I always self-edit probably way too much or that I don't, maybe it's the Asian in me. I don't know if I can ever be that unfiltered. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I look at her and I'd be like, oh, you're so good at that. And like, you know, but like, then I was like, but that's just who she is. If I said something like that, I'd be condemned for being on PC or this or that. Right. But there is a fearlessness to her. Oh, That is completely. breathtaking and enviable for sure. Absolutely. I think- oh, and it's very enviable, that fearlessness about her. She'll be like, like, it's not even like, oh, that's what I think I'm just going to put out there. Mm-hmm. She's putting it out there as she's thinking it. And so, yeah, to so, be successful in that fearless is is the is what is interesting oh, about and her. So I look up to her all the time because I feel like that is such a great and brave place to be. Like, like you could be there mm-hmm. you're really like like it's not like you're, you're, not, you're there's not a lot of concerns about how what people think and i think that's kind of the best place to be i ask because i know that there are a lot of people who are listening in their own workspaces where fearlessness and caution are a like a real everyday um responsibility you know and it's life or death even to keep your job. How are you fearless? And to be fearless is to be successful, to charge forward, and then how to be pragmatic. Yeah. Yeah, when to spend it, right? Yeah. When to to drop those things. And one of the reasons, of course, that we're all so compelled by Chrissy Teigen is she's so clearly not trying. She's so clearly not trying to get to anything. But she's also not going to work in a nine-to-five corporate job. You know, yeah. and where being that unfiltered in your comments and your mm-hmm. social media and in any part of your life would not fly. And I think would actually have a lot of repercussions for someone else out there. And I think it's just really understanding and knowing, like, should you not say something? No. Should you absolutely stand your ground about stuff? Yes. And should you not be taken advantage of? Absolutely. But you also have to be able to understand how you toe that line, especially if you are going to work every day and you have a job that that is tough like we live in a place now where words matter words matter it's no longer about semantics it's no longer about context words matter what you write on social media can come back to haunt you what you say to a coworker can come back to haunt you what you email will come back to haunt you and you have to be prepared that i always try to think like when i write an email when i t- talk to someone on the phone when i put a tweet a tweet out there 
am I going to be okay if this gets brought up 10 years Mm -hmm. from now and if it gets addressed with the public? So then I guess the question is, it seems like everything you've been saying has been about pursuing authenticity. Like you've from seven days out and finding the people who are who are behind the scenes who don't have a front and this and that. So what's the, do you have a guideline for being as authentic as possible without being uh, too far or, or reckless? Yeah, yeah. reckless is a great way I think, of putting I it. I think that's, I think that's subjective from person to person, but I think you can be as authentic as you want, but if it starts to affect and or hurt or, or sort of, unempower other people, then you sort of have to take a step back. Because when you start involving other people in a negative way, then it's no longer authentic. It's no longer like a genuine thing that's moving anyone forward. And I think that's the most important part because you could be like, oh, I'm just, I'm just being me. But it's like really like bringing other people down. Well, that's, that's actually counterproductive, you know? And I think maybe then you have to sort of check yourself at the door. Do we have a final question? I mean, uh, tell us about, uh, yeah. <laughs> J-Loan. <laughs> uh, tell us the secret thing. Tell us the thing that you wish everybody would ask you that they don't ask or that is the least explored thing about you and your career. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if it's one last question, we got to go big. Uh, the thing that people haven't asked me? I feel, I would like to think that this was the most extensive interview you've done. This is, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I think this is absolutely the most extensive interview and the most in-depth and the most sort of like personal about my career that people have gotten. Because usually they just want to do top line resume stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's like an interview, but my, really my LinkedIn. Do you know what I mean? Right, 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 right. And I'm like, okay. Which is fine. You know, it's like, oh, what was your most, what was your biggest career moments? Like this, that, like, and like, that's all fine. But I think it's really about all the things that, like, all those moments in between the big moments that, to me, define my career. So, like, yes, all of that is great, but there's a lot of a lot of crappy stuff that happened in between, a lot of great stuff, a lot of hard work. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, and, you know, and it's, like, feeling, like, I think the hardest thing about my career is that people always think, like, everything is successful, everything is great. And I think a lot of people, you have to sort of understand that it isn't always like that for anyone. And I think when you look at people out there, because I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of people I know who say, like, oh, I could do what they do. I wish I had that career. I wish I had that. But I was like, you don't actually really know what they have. And you don't really know how they feel about what they have. And I think you sort of can't be envious of that. In a way, I think you have you can only be the best of what you can be, you know. And 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 I know that all sounds so like cliche and crazy, but it's just like it 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 is what it is, you know. And I think they're like, oh, I haven't. I wish I've done more of this. I wish I did that. I wish I did this. And I'm like, well, you still did more than a lot of other people. I mean, I don't. It's like you can only you can only hold yourself accountable. I think, but you can't really expect too much at the same time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for Thank showing you. and sharing your work, Josie. And oh. um, we can't wait for season two of Seven Days Out. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> when you'll come back and tell us about it. Yes. Thank you. This was so, you're so generous. And wow, like, did you blow our minds a few times? Absolutely. We, we had to pause and be like, yeah, you just said that in seven words. Okay, so I'm still reeling. Uh, yeah, like, of course, we can't get everything with Josie in just two episodes because Josie's work is ongoing. And because he has like eight things on the go. 
So he's going to be back. He promised, and we will be thrilled to bring you more of his work. In the meantime, send us your thoughts um, about any work-related subjects, but if you want to share your thoughts on this Josie episode, if you want to let us know what was your big takeaway from what he shared with us, please do. We'd love to read your comments on our next episode. Hit us up, Instagram, leave your reviews, and show your work. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.